Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat uh, with myself, Paul Butler Lennox, and uh, Paul Webster. Uh, it's episode 56, I think, now. Uh, hope everybody had a lovely Easter. And the bellies are full of chocolate. Um, and that everyone had uh, a bit of time to spend uh, with their family and kind of relax and take it easy and, you know, watch films that are not their own. <laughs> Uh, so I hope you had a, had a great time um, Episode This week's episode we have a writer uh, a Screenwriter By the name of Stuart Drennan From nor- uh, north of Ireland From County Fermanagh uh, Who has written a feature film Fair play to him Called uh, The Dig Which is out in cinemas today The 26th of April um, So In particular it's very important to get out and see A Irish film Today and over the weekend, because the Marvel Muncher machine is eating up screens up and down the country, and uh, they had the uh, the neck to go up against them this uh, this particular weekend. So get out and support Irish film. It's a tense and taut uh, thriller uh, based in Northern Ireland, um, starring Mo Dumford and Lorcan Cranach. It's a it's a wonderfully tense thriller. It's um, it's a, it's a real throwback to some really interesting kind of movies I liked in the 70s um, in particular. Uh, cinematography is beautiful. Um, it's directed by the Tohal Brothers. Uh, the production design is pretty awesome too, so it's really worth your time. Uh, get out to the cinema and hashtag support Irish filmmaking. It'll be well worth your while um, when you're finished uh, eating popcorn and uh, lamenting the end of the Marvel machine. Uh, but yeah... It's it's well worth your time. Um, so get out and see that. And as always, if you'd like to support Film Network Ireland, uh, F&I Rap Chat or any of our events and seminars, uh, head on over to uh, com forward slash Film Network Ireland. Uh, so, yeah, Stuart Drennan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome back to episode 50-something of F&I Rap Chat uh, with the one Paul. Usually we say with the two Pauls, but the other Paul is... He's skiing today, I'm not going to lie to you. He's, uh, he's off uh, on the slopes, far from skiing where any of us raised, I can tell you that. But uh, fair play to him. Today we're, uh, we're very lucky we're joined by a writer and... Uh, am I right in saying producer? Yeah, commercial producer. Commercial producer, uh, Stuart Drennan. Yes. Correct. Hey. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> uh, Stuart is the writer of the upcoming uh, feature that won Best uh, Irish Feature or Best Feature all Overall Feature at the Flower. It's officially Best Irish Feature, but you know. Meh. We'll take, yeah. We'll, yeah. You'll take it, says you. Yeah. Um, and was also selected for Toronto and it's, it's doing the rounds and it's in cinemas towards the end of, at the end of this month because it's April. It is, yes. Uh, 26th of April. Lovely. Yeah. How how does that feel? It feels it feels <laughs> incredible. You know, it's um it's the fulfilment of a of a lifetime ambition and yeah, I can't say 
uh, I can't overstate how proud we are. Can't say of enough it. about and writing features and how good it is. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> can't say enough positive things about it. Uh, when did it all start for you? Uh, I believe it was a long road for this particular story. Am I right in saying that? Um, I'd say it's probably on average a fairly average length. So I think now oh, it's probably five years ago or so. Um, I saw a documentary about the disappeared by uh, documentarian um, Alison Morris. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. Alison Miller, I should say. And I'm great you're, you self-corrected there because we would have had to edit it out anyway, so yes, that's well, fantastic. <laughs> uh, and it was a BBC4 documentary about the disappeared, and as part of it, one of the um, one of the victim's relatives said, I don't care about justice anymore, I just want closure. Mm. And in that moment, that crystallised theme couldn't have hit me in the head any harder, and I started to think, what would it be like to be out on one of those bogs, just searching and forgetting about all the other trappings of diggers and anything like that, forgetting about how these these things can be enormously expensive, just a man, a mm. father with a spade, just every single day, a new hole, new hope, and then every single day, nothing. And really from, from there, it, it, it became the dig. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um I don't want to give anything away, but it's it's for a start in terms of tension. There's a huge amount of tension, and it's visually stunning. It's shot incredibly well. How did it? Uh, how did it jump from script to green light? How did like did, did you look from? You obviously got funding from Screen and I, and how did, how did it all come about? Yeah, so I did three drafts by myself, essentially okay. with the support of Northern Ireland Screen. Um, and then after the third draft, timing, as always, was everything whereby Brian Falconer of Out of Orbit was looking for his first feature. Mm-hmm. And Brian had heard about the project and approached me and we went for went for lunch on the 2nd of December. He was signed up really about two or three weeks later, fully kind of on board. Um, and then we brought in the Tohill brothers as the directors, I think about a month later. Okay. Um, I say the 2nd December because we wrapped 365 days later, and then a year again after that, the 2nd of December, was the um, the Biffa night where we were nominated for the Discovery Award at the, Bel- at, the <laughs> at the British Independent Film Awards. Wonderful. So it was, uh, in that sense, you know, I went, f- like, for all of that to happen in the space of two years... It just accelerated. It became, um, as soon as Brian came on, it just, uh, everything went up a level in terms of intensity, mm-hmm. both on, on the page and off the page. We just, we worked it hard. We, we ripped it apart, put it back together, and um, Brian just drove it. Just There was never a doubt in Brian's mind this was getting made. There was never a doubt in Brian's mind it was going to be brilliant. And... He just dragged us all, like a good producer does, just yeah, dragged yeah. us all through. Um, to the Stressing the importance of a good producer, just to literally drag everybody, th- and, and in this case, through the f- muck. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's it's uh, it's very easy for me to write exterior bog night, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the crew have to uh, go through... Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> frozen hell for, uh, for that slug line. It looked like a tough shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how... Yeah, I'll just take you right back if I can skip back. Um, sure. How did filmmaking uh, become a huge part of your life? 
Well, uh, or writing rather. Yeah, I guess like going all the way back, I feel like I've always, I've always just thought of stories. I've just had a very active imagination. Um, I when I used to walk home when I was in primary school, even when I used to walk home from the bus, I had a a crazy. <laughs> mad alien invasion story that every day on that walk I would add a little bit more to. And I'm sure it was just rip-off after rip-off of films I'd, I'd watched, <laughs> but every day just instinctively um, I just kept adding to it. And it wasn't then until I was in it wasn't until I was doing my leaving cert that I started to actually realise that this is something that could be a profession. And so I had applied for all the things at university that you mm-hmm. apply for when you have no idea what you want to do with your life. So philosophy, psychology, um, even things like theology. And uh, I then discovered this HND called Creative Writing. Um, <laughs> okay. And it just all fell into place for me. And I was like, well, why not? You, know, you get one life. Why not roll the dice and try and do something you really love? Yeah. yeah. And through a lot of hard work, um, it's paid off. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's some achievement. Um, I have to say, the, the dig for me anyway. There's kind of shades of peck and paw there. There's a bit of kind of Norwegian drama, uh, Scandinavian drama elements, which are, to me, that you know, the, the really, it's the most amazing content uh, material over the last you know twenty years at least. Um, how did uh, how did you go about casting? Was that, or how did the guys go about casting, I should say? Yeah, well, Brian, again, Brian attracts talent. Um, right. And Carla Strong, who mm. is an Emmy Award-winning um, casting director, uh, Game came of on Thrones, board. Game of Thrones, yes, Game of Thrones. yes, obviously, uh, she won her Emmy for Game of Thrones. Um, and really, Carla then just, um, because of her talent, attracted great talent. And we got... Uh, Mo Dunford, who's our lead, Lorcan Cranich, Emily Taff, and Francis McGee, all of which, um, all of which, just incredible. And and I don't think Mo will mind me saying this because I've said this to his face when I f- when I first met Mo and I looked at him, I was like, well, that's not how I imagined Ronan Callan at all. Mm-hmm. And in the script, he's he's called Lithe, and Mo is a, a good, broad, strong boy, uh, <laughs> and he uh, and yet. From the read through to the first time I saw him on set, I can't now think of Ron Callan without seeing Mo. He just he embodied that role so completely um, that it's just it's just one of those magical things of casting whereby I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have imagined it like that, mm-hmm. and yet it just was taken on and made so much stronger than I had ever really hoped for or envisaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very much a case of kind of throwing out what you know and and letting it become its own thing. Mm. And the whole process becoming, again, a collaborative venture. Well, oh yes, absolutely. And um, they say a film's made three times, once in the script, once on the set, and once in post-production. And, you know, there's there's a reason why mm-hmm. it's a film by Ryan and Andy Tohill, and that's because they took the script and just consistently made it stronger. Mm-hmm. Every decision, it was just getting better and better and better. Um and the same with Angus Mitchell, who shot it, and the same with Helen Sheridan, who who cut it. Just mm-hmm. they're just such talented people who consistently make 
uh, me look good, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yeah, who tidy up all my mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how much uh, uh, in terms of the shooting script to where where it ended up? How much was was there a vast amount of change or no uh, trimming? There yeah, was, there was there were scenes lost as is um, normal and healthy, but no, like to be honest. We we shot the thing in eighteen days. Yeah, a lot of it outside in November in Ireland, where it was getting dark at like five p.m. every day. Everything was. Um, I don't want to say mad scramble because that's not giving kudos to the, the crew who worked so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was always time was tight, um, yeah. and so there wasn't. I don't think time to really start to rip scenes apart and put them back together on on, yeah, the, yeah. on the fly, so to speak, or for the actors to have that ability. Things did change. The very last line in the film is slightly different than written and okay. yet stronger, again, because the character... I was about to say who said it, but I guess that might uh, be kind of a spoiler. Um, but the character who says it was just in the heat of the moment. That's just what came out of their mouth. And again, that's what you want because it's the characters going from the two-dimensional page to the three-dimensional moving image which mm-hmm. is um yeah which is always exactly what you want as a writer yeah yeah just to bring it to life uh and some great casting there i mean francis mcgee uh, a lot of irish people would not be aware that you know he's a dub or he, he was raised in dublin at least um he's a wonderful wonderful character actor and you need that level of consistency of of performance and and lorcan Cranach is really pretty spectacular in this just gone through the you know the most tumultuous tumultuous uh, emotional experience I've ever seen on on screen. It's absolutely harrowing. Uh, so what's it, what's it like to see uh, you know actors of that caliber as well as Mo? Because there's no show like a Mo show, as mm. they say in yeah. Ireland. Uh, to see them interpret your work is it, it must be really uh, frightening, but also exciting. No. I don't know about frightening, surreal. Like everything about it was surreal. Whereby, again, like I talked about it being a lifetime ambition yeah. fulfilled. And I was standing on set a couple of different times, and it suddenly just hits you: this is yours. You know, this has gone from being that moment on the couch watching a documentary to now all of these talented people mm-hmm. working their socks off to make it as good as possible. And it is just constantly surreal. Um, to then not only see those guys do your work, but then be in places like Toronto, Busan, um, Lorcan, Mo and Ryan are all in Rome at the minute. It was shown wow. there last night. Ro was in Moscow two weeks ago, seeing it. They're all off to Istanbul soon. And then I hope a bunch of us, I know that I haven't booked my tickets, but I think everyone else <laughs> has booked theirs to go to the um, Newport Beach Film Festival. Exciting in, stuff. Um, the end of the start of next month. Um and then, of course, we've got the uh, all the Irish releases coming up at the end of the month. Exciting stuff. Um, whereby we'll be down in Waterford, we'll be in Belfast, and then Dublin. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's it is it is very exciting. And to, sorry to go back to your question um, about seeing talent of that caliber working with your words. Mm-hmm. It, I get it's it's hard to put how it feels. You kind of get lost within it. I guess because they've made they've they've already made it so much of their own mm-hmm. that that moment you wrote that line three weeks four weeks earlier, um, you're just like 
that feels like a lifetime ago. And now those guys are so talented that every single time they deliver it, it yeah. sounds like they've never said it before. And it's a unique thought that's just come to their character's mind yeah, yeah. that you don't feel like you're... They're stealing something yeah, from well, you. Well, yeah, it's... Yeah. it's they, they've, yeah, they, they've made it so personal that it no longer feels like I had a part to play within it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how does how do you how do you write? How does it work for you? Badly. No. Um, <laughs> uh, I I think one of the the things about the dig that has changed me as a writer is is my process. Um, mm-hmm. I learned a lot working on that film, especially from uh, my script and story editor Katie Boyles. Um, she really inspired me to start trusting my own original voice and how and how theme is at the heart of all of that so now i don't really start anything without working out what that theme is okay so in 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 the dig it's closure is more important than justice um and now in other films if i don't have that that thematic premise worked out before I start getting too deep into character. Or, You're going to write plot. yourself down an alley. Kind yeah, of it's just, alley. and it's yeah. all going to be unconnected um, whilst it should be combined and, and whole. Mm-hmm. And the only way to make it combined and whole is really by having by having that theme at the heart. So now that's, that's the first thing I do before I do anything. And then from that theme, I build my characters around it. Mm-hmm. Then I build, I build my, my plot as a beat sheet around it. Okay. Extend that into treatment, do all of that heavy lifting, all that hard work before I get anywhere near final draft, anywhere near before scene one, okay. scene one slug line. Um, I don't, I don't lose, um, I don't go down too many rabbit holes in terms of like big twenty-page character biographies or anything like that. The way someone like Sid Field would recommend you do. Yeah, yeah. I just try and make keep that organic, but also with and if themes at at its heart, then it's all good to go really. Mm-hmm. And then. I, when I get into the um, when I get into the actual script, I just try and keep it simple and keep and yet keep making sure that there's conflict within every scene, making sure that every scene is telling us something new about character or moving the story forward. And then, as Katie would always say, you know, <laughs> keep it. She, you know, her, her favorite phrase was Callahan, Callahan, Callahan. Every decision needs to put more pressure on your protagonist. Mm-hmm. And certainly within the dig, we. We kept ramping it up for poor old Ronan, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and and so as long as everything is is consistently making life harder for the protagonist, moving on our story, then that's a good scene that's worth keeping. And if it's not, cut it, discard. Yeah. Uh, how much of it is actually in the writing when you do that level of work and prep beforehand? I mean, what I mean by that is when you do so much work. Is a, is it a matter of just pinning tails on donkeys then with scenes and go okay? Well, I have my. Well, David Lynch, for example, says that there's like seventy ideas in in every feature script. Is it very much a case of just okay? Well, I've I've I've. It's about you know, X marks the spot with all of these ideas and just putting them together. Is it easier to write that way, or is, are you okay? I've done this work in order to break the rules and then just write a free form, and then if I hit a wall, I go back and I have it there, kind of thing. Yeah, I think I can only really answer that for myself because yeah. there are plenty of writers who do go freeform mm-hmm. who are um, who are able to do that. I find I need to start with a strong spine of a structure, okay. Um, so I know where I'm going. Basically, I I like to know the destination before I start on the journey, um, mm-hmm. and 
You know, after that, I think once you've done your first draft and the structure feels tight and strong, you can afford to start taking small liberties with that. And mm-hmm. if your first act doesn't end at 25 pages, we're not going to lose our minds. We're going to let the story dictate its own pace to a certain extent. And yet, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably pretty kind of um, true to this constantly, but it's just the rules, for me, the rules are there for a reason and they work mm-hmm. and... I think storytelling is a constant battle between simplicity and complexity. Mm-hmm. And we always need a combination of both. Our characters need to be simple and understandable, yet they need to be complex and interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think for me personally, if I don't have that strong structure, the complexity will start to overcome mm-hmm. the simplicity and things will start just becoming more and more incoherent and, and unconnected. Um, and yet, you know, I'll never be a filmmaker like David Lynch. He just I just don't think like him. <laughs> and I think that's that's why we have different genres and different takes and different voices. Um and you know, you get ten writers in here, you'll think you'll get ten very different answers and um and I think for a lot of new writers that's a journey you have to go down and find out what works best for you. Mm-hmm. Who would since we referenced a filmmaker there, who's your favorite like who would influence you? Or whose work, in terms of writing, or, or even filmmakers themselves, would have, would, have, would have influenced you growing up? Where did you grow up? Um, well, I was born in Belfast, but my formative years were in Monaghan. Okay. Um, as you can not tell by my accent anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. Yeah, because you said leaving Cert earlier, so I was trying to... Yeah, I saw your face when I said that. I was like, clearly, oh. yeah. What's this northerner doing sitting in that exam? <laughs> yeah, um, that's our exam. Coming down here taking all our exams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was born in 1986, so Spielberg had an enormous effect on me as a as a kid. Um, yeah. And even now, like I think of the new projects I'm talking about, all but one have young kids as as protagonists, and I think that's. I'm thinking a lot recently about why that is because the book, The Hollywood Pitch Bible that I'm currently reading, right. one of its first rules is like, don't have kids as your protagonists. <laughs> it's like, well, it was good enough for Spielberg. Um, mm-hmm. J.R.R. Tolkien as a kid had a massive effect on me just reading Lord of the Rings. That my, my brother kind of forced me to read The Hobbit and then Lord of the Rings and that was one of the crucial inspirations I think for that wild imagination I had as a kid Um, you know Fincher now as I get kind of older and I'm I'm becoming more and more attracted to these slow burn thrillers Fincher is a a big one Um, as a writer for years I was trying to write like Aaron Sorkin because I'd mis I'd misunderstood what clear original voice meant I just thought that meant snappy dialogue Yeah, 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 yeah and I just there's there's no snappier dialogue for me than, than Sorkin's. Um, you'll be shocked to hear that I didn't make a good Sorkin. <laughs> um, and yeah, so people yeah. people like that, really. Um, but I kind of I like everyone as well, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like a good film. Yeah, yeah, who doesn't? Um, there's, for me, there's kind of shades of kind of Alex Garland in, in, in some of your stuff as well, because I think... As anyone will tell you, that the hardest thing uh, thing to do is to write a a script based in you know a lot of uh, one or two locations, or keeping it minimal, and there's no kind of escape routes by far flung ideas or notions. That seems to be was that very much a case 
was that a conscious thing with this with this particular film? Were you like, okay, I want to keep we we need to be aware of our budgetary restrictions. We need to, you know, was was that a part of it at all? It became a part of it when I had a producer who <laughs> no. who, who cared about budgets. Um, and very um, the best story of that was near with I wanted the bog to be a character in itself that that manifested its opinion through the weather. Yeah. So when Ronan, Callahan and Sean first meet, it was kind of originally written as this massive windstorm. And it, there, as their relationship thawed, it became more positive, shiny, nice, stable weather. Mm-hmm. And then as the film goes on, it became like a frozen tundra. Mm-hmm. And the note came down from Brian, we're never going to be afford to do frozen Mm-hmm. Um, just cut all that stuff out and was like, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> Funnily enough, when we get to the day that we're going to shoot those scenes, it snowed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, uh, we 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 got it for free, which was, yeah, mm-hmm. um, God blessing the production, clearly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's nice of you to, to compare it to Alex Garland. Like, I did actually watch Ex Machina a lot because it's three characters in... A confined location, talking, um, you know, really exploring a big, massive theme, which mm-hmm. is what we we wanted, which was obviously what we wanted to do. Um, you know, the the story lent itself to those locations and those, um, and I see those as kind of happy coincidences that it became something that we could shoot for very little money. Mm-hmm. But it was never a case, and and I should say, and Brian never let it become a case where something crucial had to be changed because of budget. I don't know how he did it, (laughs) but he did. And, you know, there's a sequence um, in and around the end of the first act with a well. And for ages, we all expected this well to have to be cut. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes. Just the logistics of having to yeah, shoot it yeah. and, and the safety concerns maybe are Yeah, well basically you had to build a, a fake well, mm-hmm. essentially. Um and you know, we we just I, I don't I don't know ultimately how it happened, but there was a, a Friday I think where Brian got in touch and said, Listen, I think we're gonna have to lose the well, start to think about how we're gonna get around that, how mm-hmm. we can make sure that the the effect isn't the effect, the, the effectiveness of the character moment that comes out of that scene, um, we need to maintain that obviously and not let it and in, 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 um, interrupt the the flow of the plot. So we went and put our heads together, and it just wasn't going to be anything that was going to be as good as that. Mm-hmm. And then I just never heard anything about that again. And next thing I know, that they'd shot the well scene and it was all fine. And <laughs> Brian just he had heard, you know, he had he he understands story and he understood the importance of that moment and so he just went and made it work somehow and that's why made it happen. That's why he's a great producer. Was it built or found or you know, I think it was a bit of a combination. So Ryan Tohill is has spent many, many years in the art department. Okay. And I think I heard he was on the Frankenstein Chronicles and um he had seen a well that was sitting out the back of one of their <laughs> stages. And he was like, who owns that that well? And he got to the bottom of it, and they were like, I think we're going to throw it out. And he was like, don't throw it out. Don't throw it out. <laughs> well, um, well, well, well. <laughs> I know it's Monday morning and all, but... <laughs> Sorry, I do that. 
next year be pulling out the uh, the dig puns because we haven't heard all of those a <laughs> yeah. hundred times. I had to, yeah, I had to stop myself. Go on. Um, yeah, so it was a happy accident. Or, yeah. or, or, uh, well, a combination of think. Of, from my point of view, I I just wrote what was best, and then I don't think there was any accident. And Brian somehow managed to pull it all to fruition. Just mm-hmm. good, good producing. And that's why whenever you ask, do I produce as well? I'm kind of like. Mm. Little things. I'll do the odd short film and stuff, but I watched Brian Falcon who produced that film, and there was one moment I just turned to him and was like, Brian, this is exactly what you're doing right now. It's exactly why I'll never be a film producer. Mm-hmm. I just don't think like that. And Pulling the biggest rabbits out of the biggest hats. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Good producers worth their weight in gold, and it's really their film. I don't think a lot of people realise that. Producers are ostensibly the boss, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and and I mean that in a very positive way. A really good producer does, uh, frankly, all of the heavy lifting of Wells in this case. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what else are you working on? What's happening with you? Well, I'm uh, that you can talk about. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's I'm, I've got. I'm trying to make film number two, really. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've got a project that I'm chatting to the Towhills about. Who we haven't yet. Um, it's early days with that, and then there's another director, Simon Fellows, who I'm hoping to get a project up and run with, and then a Serbian filmmaker um, that I'm also hoping to um, get a project up and run with. But just trying to keep writing, keep learning, and um, Brian said something to me very true um, a wee while ago. He's like, you have to assume the dig is going to be the worst thing you ever write. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just trying to top that and just come up with something that is again a healthy healthy mix of com- emotional complexity and you know s- simple story that is going to en- engage people um there's a project that um because the the dig obviously deals with the the disappeared in an indirect way it's not a troubles film by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. and there's another topic from the troubles that I would quite like to do in that in a similar vein, do, yeah, do that. That's in the same treatment, but it's it will be so combustible, <laughs> um, and I've no idea yet how to do it in a way that would both be respectful, and also like a a good film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good a good story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and and but you know, in the short term, what's next is twenty sixth of April. Get the film in the cinemas. Hopefully, people come out and get behind it, and. Um, yeah, just enjoy that moment of being able to go in and say, one one ticket for the dig, please. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Did you, it must have been really. What was it like seeing your, seeing it on the big screen with a full house for the first time? What was that like? Uh, yeah, just awe-inspiring. I think, and whenever that James Everett did did the score, and it's a beautiful score, and whenever that kind of Callahan's theme comes on, it's just it. it yeah, it was just an incredible experience. And, you know, I I know filmmakers who have made their first feature and it hasn't gone their way. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting in cinemas and there's a lot of regret and a lot of, sometimes a lot of discontent within, within the team. Um, mm-hmm. And so for us all, not only to be still talking to each other, <laughs> but also be incredibly proud of this piece of work. Yeah. Like I watch it and there's nothing I would change about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan and Andy just consistently along with the cast and the crew made every single scene better and so for a writer 
to watch that with people and for them to react the way you want them to react at a couple of key key moments and to see people get out of their seat like when my mum saw it she she get out of her seat and she was literally shaking it was just the emotional of the finale and you know to be able to and obviously she's biased but you know to be yeah, able yeah. to get anyone to react like that is is just such a a wonderful a wonderful feeling and and to be honest the the, the core thing i kept thinking about is i gotta do this again gotta do another film gotta sit in a cinema like this again and experience and feel like this again cause yeah, it's yeah need to capture that rarefied air again kind yeah, of thing yeah. yeah do you think do you believe that it takes a film takes a different form or ascends in a different you know ascends essentially when it's seen by an audience do you think it becomes its own thing then do you think an audience can make or break a film in that regard Despite how good it is, depending on like what I don't know what what atmosphere is in the cinema or the, whatever magic is in that room when it when when somebody sees it, because you know the positive, I suppose the positive feedback from that audience, particularly early audiences. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, um, there's a filmmaker um, back home called Chris Myers, and Chris talks a lot about how as filmmakers we make contracts with our audience. They pay their ticket and they come in. They expect to be, they expect to be educated or entertained or affected by this piece of art you're about to put before them. And every single audience is different, as you say. It's made up of a whole bunch of individuals who are going to feel about what's occurring in a whole uh, gamut of different in different ways. And mm-hmm. you know, they're genuinely. The, when I was in South Korea watching it, their reaction was different than it was in Toronto than it was in in Galway um and it, it's and and that's I think why question and answer sessions are always so much fun because you just you don't know what's going to happen when someone puts up their hand of because <laughs> and, and it's and it's the best way of gauging is this is this connecting with people or not um I got a a lovely text from Andy having spoken to Ryan about the screening last night that it really seemed to have touched the audience in Rome and um you know it it's it it has taken on a life of itself because it's it's making emotional connections with people mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so it's out on the 26th here yep yep selected cinemas on the 26th of april fantastic uh congratulations thank it's you. it's a lovely piece of work and uh thanks for coming in oh thank you it's thank been good Good, good crack for a Monday morning. Thanks very much. Cheers, man. Hello. You're very welcome to the Alison Spittle Show advertisement. With me, Alison Spittle. I'm a comedian and podcaster. I've been doing this podcast for the past two years and I love it. I've had past guests like Colin McGorman, Tara Flynn, Sophie Hagen, Deborah Francis White, and future guests like Sharon Horgan. So please tune in to my podcast. You can find it on the Headstuff Podcast Network or wherever you can find podcasts, go for it.